DJ now wide open. Oh, oh yeah, Livingston. Big Cliff time. Livingston with six, and the Bulls are up by seven. Scotty Pippen. Rebounded by Scott Williams. Yes, and it counts. There's the active Scott Williams at the Chicago Bulls team. While they were far from flashy, both Cliff Livingston and Scott Williams were memorable role players during the first three-peat, and they still hold a special place in many Bulls fans' hearts. Let's start with Livingston. Known affectionately as good news because of his upbeat attitude, Livingston was a contributor off the bench during the Bulls' first two championships in 1991 and 1992. When he arrived in Chicago, he was 30 years old, approaching the end of his career. Still, he found ways to bring energy into the lineup, whether it was a key bucket, a defensive stop, or a crucial rebound. Not to mention, he was the perfect glue guy. You would always see Levingston on the sidelines, cheering and high-fiving teammates. He also was the mastermind behind the Bulls' infamous pregame chant. Levingston's signature moment came in Game 3 of the 1991 NBA Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. With the series tied at one game apiece, the Bulls faced a 13-point deficit with Scottie Pippen in foul trouble. Levingston provided a much-needed spark off the bench. He scored 10 points on 5 of 5 shooting, with 4 rebounds and 3 blocked shots, and he even guarded the likes of Sam Perkins and James Worthy during a crucial stretch in the fourth quarter in overtime. The Bulls ended up winning Game 3, 104-96, and would finish off the Lakers in the next two games to win their first title. Without Livingston's role in Game 3, there is certainly no guarantee the Bulls would have flipped the series. Now, Scott Williams also had a knack for making contributions when they were needed most. Signed as an undrafted rookie in 1990, Williams was an energy player who earned the trust of teammates right from the get-go. While he barely saw the floor in his first season, head coach Phil Jackson pressed him into action during the 91 Finals. With the Bulls down one game to zero against the Lakers, Williams came off the bench over the next four games, and it just so happened all those games were victories. In 1992, Williams again was a limited piece in the rotation. In fact, he only scored in double digits twice in the regular season. But similar to the year before, Jackson leaned on Williams when he needed him most in the postseason. And during his playoff run, Williams ended up scoring in double digits three times. By 1993, he became a fixture off the bench, and Bulls fans knew they could count on Williams for tenacious defense, rebounding, and keeping possessions alive. Pippen off the spell. Rebound Williams. Williams again, he pops it out. Jordan for three. Yes, Levingston and Williams weren't flashy. There were other role players who scored more points and played many more minutes, but they were gritty and tough-minded pieces off the bench. No matter what was asked of them, they both filled their roles perfectly. Levingston and Williams were the kind of good soldiers that every championship team needs, and they embodied the blue-collar spirit that made them fan favorites for a whole generation of Bulls fans. Alright, so joining us today to talk about Cliff Levingston and Scott Williams from the Bowl on Bulls podcast, none other than Big Dave Watson. Dave, how are you, and how are you adjusting to the new normal in life? Well, I mean, I, I would say I'm feeling sad, but everybody knows that's not me. I'm pre- doing pretty wonderful. Uh, everything's been pretty cool. Um, the new normal is, I mean, it's different, of course, you know, um, being home all the time, but it's okay because, you know, I'm always, I look after my mom, so it's not really a super change for me. Um, but it is a change because I am used to being out when I, you know, need to be out. 
and doing what I need to do and, you know, moving how I move. So it's, it's been a change in, in that kind of way for sure. But um, like, honestly, I keep telling people, like, if, if it was just me, I'd be OK. But, you know, uh, caring for my mom is, is the person who's number one for me. So as long as she's all right, because she's elderly. So I'm like, as long as she's OK, then, you know, nothing else really matters to me. But yeah, if it was just me, I'd probably still be, you know, going out every day and um, not like kicking it or hanging out, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> doing stuff like that. I mean, like, if I want to go by to um, a, a friend's apartment or, you know, shopping differently, you know what I'm saying? Like, not mm-hmm. picking up everything I need in one specific stop. Um, so I find myself doing that more. But yeah, man, um, it's definitely a change. I'm sure it's a big change for a lot of people, you know, using more technology, you know, to communicate now and uh, I've probably FaceTime more than I've ever FaceTime in my entire life. And yeah, so that's been uh, a change in the new normal for me is the more more of the use of uh, technology and that I have a PS4. And so now I'm going to actually, you know, look to play people online on a PS4 because I, I really didn't care before. I would just play video games as, you know, normal people would play them. And but now everybody is online playing each other. And I really didn't care. It didn't you know, bother me if I was or not. And now I'm like, you know, maybe I should look into this. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Um, You mentioned FaceTiming. I think I've done like two or three different Skype chats, video chats with my friends where we're just drinking whiskey and talking for about a good hour and a half. So <laughs> um, if anything, I'm going to come out of this maybe an alcoholic, but that's all right. You know, it works. <laughs> but you know what? I'm, I'm also enjoying a lot of the classic Bulls content on NBC Sports Chicago. It's kind of cool watching the the '90s Bulls, the the heyday of the Bulls, and you know that was sort of the inspiration behind creating this podcast. Where we're profiling um, some of the legendary role players from the dynasty days, and when I threw out some options for you, you chose Scott Williams and Cliff Levingston, and I'm gonna I want to yield the floor to you. Why did you? choose those two as the ones you wanted to profile or why why are those two your favorites i guess from from that era uh well a couple reasons i wouldn't i wouldn't say they're my favorites i i cliff is definitely one of my favorites that that's not a lie about about it at all but scott williams uh, i definitely uh have respect for but one of the reasons i chose it is because it felt like a challenge and I was like, wow, because I'm looking at the names you had listed. I mean, you had some really awesome names listed, you know, the BJ Armstrongs and, you know, guys like that. And at first I was deciding, like I told you, it would be between four and five because I believe the fifth was like Will Purdue. And uh, I always was taught by my older brother how much and how important Will Purdue was to that Bulls uh, uh, last two championship runs and how important he was to those teams. Uh, I was always taught that. And so I was like, man, I could do Will Purdue. But when I saw Cliff Levingston and Scott Williams, I said, ooh, now that's obscure. I don't think anybody is really going to do a deep dive into that or want to touch that or even realize the importance of both of those players uh, on those uh, title teams. So I felt like it's a good opportunity to uh, shine the light on, in particular, Cliff Levingston and also at the same time, uh, Scott Williams. Well, and, you know, the, the reason I wanted to pair these two up, um, you know, we were talking a little bit offline about this, that, you know, for some of the younger Bulls fans out there that might only remember the second three-peat, that first three-peat, <laughs> the, the teams there were just as impressive, and the bench was a very 
hard hat, lunch pail style group. And those two guys were actually, you know, the pretty, pretty reliable players off the bench. Let's, let's start with Scott Williams. I, I won't lie with, with Scott Williams, Dave, it's to me, he always struck me as somebody who was in the right place at the right time, you know, walks in as an undrafted rookie. And three years later, he's got three rings. I mean, just, just pretty damn lucky to, to walk into that. <laughs> I understand that. And yeah, I'm sure luck definitely has something to do with that. No question about it. Um, but Scott Williams is an inter- more of an interesting story. I mean, he wasn't complete trash, you know, coming in. I'm not saying he was the greatest player. Obviously he wasn't. Um, but he was, I remember him being, he was a, he was an all American McDonald's all American, you know, coming out of high school. He went to the university of North Carolina. He had a, you know, good, not great career, which is what, you know, why he was signed as a free agent, you know, and wasn't drafted. Um, but when he got there, the person who took a liking to him was Michael Jordan. And what Mike saw in him is what I saw in him later is he had, he wasn't scared of nothing. And that goes a long way with Michael Jordan. If you, and I'm sure you've heard many stories about Mike, how Mike would test someone always would always test them to see where they were mentally. And, you know what I'm saying? If they would put up with his stuff. And if you stood up to Mike, then then he would kind of leave you alone and kind of have respect for you. So for Mike to have that kind of respect for a rookie coming in as a free agent says something about, you know, him in general. Now he, he did. I mean, I liked him because he got the most out of what he had. You know what I'm saying? Like he just, he had the, but he didn't average like 10 points. I believe his career high was like seven points a game. And I was on another team. So he wasn't like, setting the world on fire you know scoring but he definitely was a huge contribution to the Chicago Bulls as far as the playoffs were concerned so if you look at it in the regular season let's start with his rookie year because even because that was the first championship in that regular season he wasn't he was barely coming off the bench like he was like the last man off the bench he wasn't playing a lot at all that changed when they got to the playoffs when they got to the playoffs his time improved his time kicked up you know what I'm saying? They started using him more because they understood, started understanding his one, his physicality. Two, he picked up the triangle pretty well as a for a rookie. And three, as I said, he wasn't scared. And that's definitely what they needed going in and playing the teams that they were playing, especially playing the Detroit Pistons and guys like that. But it really came full circle for him in that finals because in that finals as a rookie, he took Stacey King's minutes. He replaced Stacey King as a rookie. He came in and took those minutes, man. And that's that says a lot about him because this is the NBA Finals. I mean, usually this is not the place where rookies come in and take minutes from veterans. I don't care if they're one year or two year. Um, you have to be in a special circumstance like Robert Ori and Sam Cassell. You know what I mean? For you come in and, you know, take vital minutes from somebody as a rookie. So that said a lot about Scott Williams. And if you notice anything about Scott Williams in that first championship run, he was he was always flailing. He was all he had six fouls to give and he was about to give them. But he was a problem on that defensive end when they needed a block shot, when they needed that steal, when they needed those intangibles. Scott Williams was that guy. He was always that one. They needed that energy off the bench. That was the Scott Williams story. And one of my favorite Scott Williams stats, Matt, one of my favorite Scott Williams stats is when Scott Williams played in the playoffs that first year, when he played, the Bulls were 12-0. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stats. <laughs> you know, 
it's interesting because you said two things that I was going to bring up about about Scott Williams. One that he was just a freaking grinder, and and you know he had interesting like versatility where because he had so much energy, you know he could guard your center, he can guard your power forward, he could guard some more athletic wings because he would get switched up sometimes, and he he didn't fear anybody. And you know the one thing too, like he, he would play 15, 20 minutes a game, and that guy would get his money's worth. He was going to foul people. That's one thing I always remembered about Scott Williams is that he could easily get into foul trouble. Oh yeah. Yeah. He definitely had six fouls and he was not afraid to use them. And when you have guys like that, who have to know their role, see when you're on a team with a guy like Jordan, Scotty Pippen and Horace Grant and Bill Cartwright, John Paxson, BJ Armstrong, you know, your role is defined. You know, you're not coming in to start. You know what I mean? You're not coming in to, you know, take over or anything like that. You're coming in to help. That's your mm-hmm. role. And you have to know it. And you have to know that's what you're here to do. So what was impressive to me was as a rookie for a guy who didn't play a lot during the regular season. Like I said, he was always the last guy off the bench. For a guy to still be mentally ready to come in and contribute to your team in the playoffs and in the NBA Finals says a whole lot about Scott Williams and where he was mentally for the Chicago uh, Bulls. Okay, I just had this meathead thought pop in my head when we were talking about this. So, to kind of give a a contemporary example, I guess it's not even that contemporary anymore. It's almost 10 years. Jesus. If we go back to the 2011 Chicago Bulls, it kind of reminds me of when Omera Sheik emerged Mm. as this defensive big man off the bench. You remember that Omer Sheik was always at the end of the bench at the start of that season. And as the season went on, he, he started taking Kurt Thomas's minutes and became this defensive stopper at the end of the regular season and into the playoffs. So I guess kind of like a contemporary example for you youngins out there. Omer Sheik, kind of like that's how Scott Williams on now. He was Scott Williams was a lot more athletic and not as plotting as, as Omer Sheik was. But it's kind of like a similar emergence like i don't know that that's kind of what popped in my head as we were talking about this i know does that make any sense no to it you? makes 100 percent sense and i've said this on your show before like you can't win a title without goons like no. you need goons on your team and scott williams understood coming in from day one oh i need i'm the goon that's exactly what mm-hmm. i'm going to be i'm gonna fight who they need me to fight you know what i'm saying i'm not scared of whatever like i said when you're playing the pistons you know what i'm saying you're playing philadelphia you know what I mean? You playing the Lakers like you you playing these guys are mentally tough and physically tough basketball teams. You have to remember during that time it was much more physical. The NBA was much more physical uh, during that time of play. So you need those guys who aren't afraid of that. That's what Mike needed. Mike needed road dogs. He needed goons, man. He didn't need no finesse. He had enough finesse. He had enough finesse of everybody. He had Scottie Pippen with the finesse. He needed toughness, man. He needed somebody to back up uh, Bill Cartwright. He needed somebody to back up Horace Grant. You know what I'm saying? Somebody come to the rescue who's messing with B.J. Armstrong. He needed those kind of goons, those kind of guys that would get the crowd hyped, you know, that would get the crowd into it. You can even uh, throw out names like Udonis Haslam, you know what I'm saying, or guys like mm-hmm. that. Like, dudes who are just there to be goons, but that role is important. Kendrick Perkins. Like, those, those roles are important on, on a team, and those are the roles that coaches love. Coaches love that stuff. And you got to credit Phil Jackson for noticing mm-hmm. and, and his staff, Tex Winter, Johnny Bach, Jim Clemens, all those guys, you got to credit them for seeing that and understanding his mental fortitude because, I mean, he took it up. Like, even when they went to that second title, like, that same year, they did the same thing. He was, like, not coming off the bench 
Like, a lot. Like, he was... It was crazy. Like, he still wasn't mm-hmm. coming off the bench. I believe he scored in double figures three times during the regular season. No, he scored in double figures two times. Excuse me. Two times during it's the regular crazy. season. Two times in the regular season. But in the playoffs, he scored in double figures three times. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he, he understood what level he had to be at at the biggest stage. And that's you know, how you get guys like Jordan on your side. Well, and I think even both three-peats, you had a lot of guys that really just did compliment, you know, Michael and Scotty very well. And you had a lot of guys that played specific roles. And I think that's a credit to Phil. Um, you know, Phil being able to get the guy at the end of the bench to understand that they had an important job to do just as much as Scotty and Michael did. And I think it's also a big credit to Jerry Krause too, because Jerry Krause was able to find very good complimentary pieces and role players to plug into to both the first and second three-peat. No, you're absolutely right. You got to get the credit where it's due. And, I, and I'm speaking as not a huge Jerry Krause fan, but you got to call it what it is. That dude mm-hmm. knew some talent, and especially during that time. He understood what that team needed, and he understood what pieces you had to plug around him. I mean, look at those unpopular moves he was doing, even when he brought in Bill Cartwright. You know, that was super unpopular because he traded away Charles Oakley, who was mm-hmm. Michael Jordan's dog. Till this day, that's still his dog. You know what I'm saying? And he traded him away to get Bill Cartwright. Because, you know, Bill Cartwright fit better. You know what I mean? He fit better for the team. So he understood fit. And he understood need. And he understood necessity. And he understood the mental fortitude and what guys, you know, what you would need to uh, succeed on that team, man. Like, you had to build around Mike. You know, you had to build. And once Scotty got to that level, because Scotty still wasn't an all-star yet. Got to remember, Michael still was the only all-star on that team in the first championship. Scotty didn't make an all-star mm-hmm. team until his second one. So, yeah. yeah, when he was getting to that elite level of being Mike, you know what I'm saying? Jerry Krause kind of understood that. So, when you bring guys like Stacey King and B.J. Armstrong and, you know, he even tried to bring in Jeff Sanders. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just needed some goons out here, you know, to be good. But the signing of Scott Williams to get a guy – who starts out in his rookie season not playing a lot. And by the time they get to their third title run, he's your sixth man starting the season and going into the playoffs. He's your sixth man. So, yeah, big ups to Jerry Cross for that. He understood that kind of talent. You got to give him credit for that. All right, so we, we I think we, we addressed a good chunk about Scott Williams. And I definitely now want to get to your favorite guy here. I want to get to Cliff Levingston. Good so, news. Good news. So, there's two fun facts. I actually just want to start with some interesting tidbits. There's two fun facts that I kind of always associate with Cliff Levingston. So the first one is Game 2, 1991 NBA Finals. Cliff Levingston is the man who passed the ball to MJ on that infamous layup where he switches hands. That is that is probably one of the most iconic plays, not only in Bulls history, but also NBA history. Like, you see that everywhere. Absolutely right. And, I mean, you, you hit it right on the head. You got to give that credit. When Cliff Levinston gets that ball and he goes inside, and he's about to go up. But, no, he turn, he jumps up. He turns around. Who's he see? Sees Michael Jordan cutting down that lane and hits him. And you look at it, he throws a perfect chest pass with the hands spread apart and everything. It's perfect. It's a perfect pass right there to Mike. And Mike goes up and makes history, man. And another part of that. When he does that, who's the first person with his hands up in the air looking at the crowd like, oh, my God, Scott Williams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first one sitting there like, what did we just see? What just yes. happened? There's also like you, you see that and then they the camera flashed to Phil Jackson and Phil Jackson, you know, rarely a man with a lot of emotion during a game 
just kind of let put this wry smile on his face like I can't believe I just saw that it's such a such an iconic play but you you know what the Cliff Levingston pass is just as cool too because it's almost like a sixth sense like he just sensed Michael was was cutting down the lane like oh yeah he felt the he felt the timing yeah yeah absolutely right like he he felt that timing and history was made by Cliff Levingston starting it off and he even led to Marv Albert with the call. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, oh yeah. a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. Like, all of it just was like, just came together. That chemistry that came together at that point was amazing. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, Cliff Levingston, yeah. man, he, he was important. All right, so the, the second tidbit that I always like about Cliff Levingston. So, Dave, did you know that Cliff Levingston is the only player in NBA history to foul into a game? Ooh, foul into a game. Explain, sir. Okay, so I pulled up a story. It's from 1986. This is when Cliff Levingston was with the Atlanta Hawks. So in this game, Dominique Wilkins, and and here's another blast from the past, Antoine Carr, uh, were both out that game. Antoine Carr. Antoine Carr. Both those guys were out that game, and there was a lot of players getting into foul trouble. It was an overtime game. So Cliff Levingston fouls out. Uh, John, uh, what's his name? John Kincaid falls out. Kevin Willis falls out. Scott Hastings falls out. Spud Webb eventually falls out, and they're out of players. So there's a rule in the NBA that if you foul out, one player can come back into the game, and you get assessed a technical foul. So Cliff Levingston re-entered the game with about 35 seconds left in overtime, and they were assessed a technical foul. So he's the only player in NBA history to foul into a game. So there you go. That is amazing. <laughs> that is an amazing, amazing thing. I had no idea about that. Wow, man. Yeah. That's a lot. And what's up with the refs that game? My goodness. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's how the whole the whole article starts. They were playing the Utah Jazz, and, and the coach of the Jazz was still like, even like they, that. That seemed a little excessive. It was a uh, it was a unique kind of game. So. Cliff Levingston specifically, why is why is he one of your favorites? I mean, he I, I gotta say he he kind of has a a big Dave kind of personality to him. I could see that. You know what, man? I'm glad you said that um, because <laughs> you know Cliff Levingston. Some well, let me start here since you said that. Cliff Levingston's nickname, as you know, is Good News. Yes. And I found that out from Horace Grant, and Horace Grant said called him Good News. He was like, because Cliff always had the good word. You know what I mean? He always had something cool to say, something nice to say to everything and everybody. And when I went to a ping pong event our first year doing Bulls Outsiders, where all the Bulls players were, I saw Horace Grant sitting in the corner. And I went over to his section, and he greeted me. He's like, hey, what's up? You know, showing me all kinds of love. And Scottie Pippen is there. And he introduces me to Scottie Pippen. He points to Scottie and says, Scottie, this is good news right here. This is good news. And I fell out. That man, nickname, he said he's because he he said I reminded him of Cliff Levingston because I always had the good word. So he was like, "This wow. good news right here." So yes, Horace Grant gave me the Cliff Levingston name of good news. So to hear you Holy say shit. that is dead on. <laughs> to hear you well, say well, that is dead on. Here's here's how I also see it too. Like Cliff Levingston seemed like a glue guy on that unit. You kind of seem like you got that with the uh with bulls outsiders i i've always said this like you come on this podcast i definitely kind of you know i always know it's going to be a fun conversation so i feel like you're you're very adaptable you're kind of a man of the people that's who cliff levingston was 
Oh, no, no question about it. That's exactly who Cliff Levingston was. And I mean, it's just not it's not something, you know, you learn. It's just something, you know, you are, mm-hmm. you know, it's just who you are, man. It's just stuff I am. man. it's just stuff that uh, Cliff Levingston is, you know. And I, I did get a chance to meet Cliff Levingston recently um, nice. and shake his hand and, t- and take a picture with him uh, and say hello. I didn't get to say all I wanted to say because we were kind of in a rush. And he was kind of like, yeah, OK, hurry up, get this picture and get up out of here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. I, don't, I was like, I don't blame you, Cliff. Go ahead, but I'm gonna get this photo, baby. Because <laughs> like, he was That's my awesome. guy, and I, and I kept telling him he was my guy. But you know, I don't think he believed me. You know, but but yeah, he that that is my guy. Cliff Levinson was my guy. I would argue about him in college when I would tell people how important he were, and they would laugh at me and how important he he was, man. And then I would break them down. And I was like, well, y'all don't watch basketball. That's that was always my next thing. Y'all just not watching the game like I'm watching the game. So, but Cliff Levington. So, it's it, this my first introduction to Cliff Levington was Michael Jordan, and it was when, as you mentioned, he was playing on the Atlanta Hawks because I watched Michael Jordan videos like Come Fly with Me and all that other stuff so many times that Cliff Levington is on there on this mm-hmm. iconic part when Mike makes a move on on the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta. He makes a move on Cliff Levingston to the point where he makes Cliff Levingston fall down. And yep. Cliff Levingston falls down. Mike goes up and dunks on Tree Rollins. Like, and so I never forgot that play because Cliff Levingston's 53 is all in the camera falling right to the ground. So that was oh like my, my first introduction to him. Yeah. Do, that was, you, <laughs> just, you just, you, you literally like, I didn't even think of that until... You just brought it up because I, I used to watch uh, as a kid. I was obsessively addicted to NBA TV when it was brand new. And they used to always show Come Fly With Me and all the Jordan specials. And now I'm vividly remembering that dunk as you mention it. And I, I do remember Cliff Lovingston being in it and falling down to the ground. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, man. Like, Mike hit him with the, with the ball fake. You know, the Jordan one-handed yep. ball fake. Hit him with that. Drove Cliff Levinson, fell to the ground and tripped, and Mike dunked all on Tree Robbins. And what, two years later, they're teammates? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Two years later, they're teammates, and he becomes an important teammate. And also, and because Cliff Levinson, just to add to his name of being good news, as it went on, the crying call for the Bulls was, What time is it? It's game time. Who was the yep. one saying that? It was Cliff Levinson. Yes, he was the it one. It was. All the time. What time is it? That was Cliff Levinson every single time. So that lets you know what he was. Now, every team needs goons, and every team needs a specific kind of goon, kind of like Cliff Levingston. The person I equate Cliff Levingston to is if you remember the old Boston Celtics teams, you remember uh, ML Carr. Mm-hmm. And that's who I kind of equate him to. ML Carr was that guy who was on the bench, but he was more of an agitator. But he was the guy on the bench yelling, hollering, waving the towel, you know, screaming, you know, always trying to get under the skin of the opponent from the bench area. But he was the cheerleader. He was a pioneer <laughs> as a cheerleader, straight up. He oh, was man. a pioneer, man, for that stuff. And I always equated Cliff to that because I remember to skip ahead, because before, before I get to my point, I'm going to skip ahead to the finals in 92. I know what you're going to say. You know what I'm saying? Like when Mike was on fire and who they he, cut He's to? hot. he's waving the towel he's talking man because Cliff Levinson you need that on a championship you need that kind of guy because if it's not if it's not going to be your best player you know and it's not going to be the other guy you need another guy that has that personality you know what I'm saying that kind of embodies the team 
that you might think is super serious. But this is the guy that's like, nah, you know, these guys are fun. You know what I mean? These guys are silly. The Pistons even had that in John Sally. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, you you need those kind of guys uh, on your team. The, the Lakers didn't need one because Magic was that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you didn't need one. You didn't need one for that. So, yeah, the championship teams need that fun-loving, you know what I'm saying, happy-go-lucky guy, but who will still come in, and, you know, and bust you down when it's time to. And that was Cliff mm-hmm. Levinson. So, I remember all season long, Cliff Levinson didn't really play. You know, especially mm-hmm. that second second half of that uh first title. I'm talking about the first title run. He he didn't play that season a lot. Especially that second half of the season. He didn't really play. But when the playoffs came, because again, Phil Jackson understood, this is when Cliff Levinson got his love. And it really came to fruition again in the NBA finals. Now, in the finals, if you remember, that first game, the Bulls lost. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Magic, the people I hate when people disregard that Lakers team. That Lakers team was awesome. Okay. Yeah, James Worthy. James Worthy is that leading scorer in the in the finals. Okay. Still had James Worthy. Still had Sam Perkins, who was awesome. You had the rookie Vlade Divac, who was pretty good. And Magic was mm-hmm. second, second in MVP voting that year. He was second yep. behind, obviously, Mike. So you had the top two MVP, you know what I'm saying, vote getters going at it. That's who you're going at it with, man. So don't give me that stuff. The Lakers was a good team, man. That's Magic Johnson over there. So they wasn't no, they wasn't no flaw. They they was doing their their thing. So mm-hmm. that first game, it was a problem because Worthy had like 24 or 26 or something like that that first game, man. And Sam Perkins was on fire, and the Bulls lost because you know Mike just missed the shot in and out. So obviously, yeah. that next game is very important because you don't want to go down 2-0. And so the Bulls would come out, and you know that you saw they ran them out of the gym. But what also happened was Cliff Levingston's minutes increased. And what Phil Jackson did was not only did he intelligently move Scottie Pippen to Magic Johnson to slow him down, to bother him with his length, his size, his speed, his quickness. He also saw that James Worthy, like many other people, he was destroying Scottie Pippen on that baseline because that's James Worthy. And that's, you know what I mean? Like, let's let's be clear. That's a Hall of Famer. You know what I'm saying? That's what he does, man. He was killing on that baseline. So in game two, who did he decide to start putting on him? Cliff Levingston. That's who he decided mm-hmm. to start putting on him was Cliff Levingston because that length and his quickness could probably bother him a little more. And Scotty, you know, in that game two, he still was kind of cheating off of both a little bit. But that's when he started to, you know, take on magic and body up magic and, you know, get on his nerves. And, you know, then that's when the play happened and all that. And that's when that changed. Now, Going into game three, that's the important game because both you're tied 1-1 and you're going mm-hmm. into game three. Now, remember at that time, it was 2-3-2. Two, two. You play two at home, play three yep. on the, on that road, and you play two more back home. So you're playing three straight games in L.A. And you're playing the Lakers, okay? This is the Lakers. You know they coming out to run you out the gym, especially in the finals. And that's what they were doing. You know, the Bulls, I believe, were down like 13 at one point going in that, in that second half. So the Lakers were doing what the Lakers do. You know, you got Jack Nicholson and all them going crazy, doing that thing. They need a spark. Bulls need a spark. They need somebody to come in and, and give them some kind of energy and give them some anything. Enter Cliff Levingston. Cliff mm-hmm. Levingston comes into that game. And the first play, I remember it clearly, was a tip bat dunk. And when he got that dunk, he got charged. Yeah! He starts like, ah, let's go, let's go. He starts pumping it up saying let's go let's go let's get it in then i believe on not the next play but the play after that he gets a block and starts a fast break scotty pippen with a slam dunk now he's he ignites that team in that third quarter to the point when they got to that fourth 
when they got to that fourth quarter, I believe it was 10 minutes left when he came back in the game, when he got to the fourth quarter. When they got to that fourth quarter, they were down only four. Cliff Levinson comes into the game in the fourth quarter. Let me run you down what Cliff Levinson did in seven minutes. In seven minutes in that fourth quarter, this is what Cliff Levinson did. First thing. Tell Tell the people. Let me tell the people what was going on. The first thing he does, first play, he blocks Sam Perkins, which leads to a Scottie Pippen layup. Boom, two-point game. Very next possession, he ties the game with a layup because he got an assist from Pip. Boom, puts that in. Then when they start battling a little bit, he gets a dunk, and he goes up and gets a dunk and put the Bulls up by two. This means it was like five minutes left when this happened. And then the Bulls go up by four, and then the Lakers are battling them again. Mike goes up for the lay-in. Guess who's there to tip that one back in? My main man, Cliff Levinson, tips that one back in. So it, in seven minutes, in the fourth quarter, he was three for three, six points, four rebounds with that block. He finished the game five for five, 10 points, four rebounds, three blocks, and a steal. And he played in the overtime because that game went overtime. Because yep. Mike, Mike Steele hit a shot against Vladi Divac. I still to this day don't know how he hit that shot. because He barely hit it over like his arm. Yes, it was unreal. I still don't know how he made that shot, but he made it because they had to have it. He makes this shot. They go to overtime. Scottie Pippen fouled out before that fourth quarter was over. So Cliff Levingston played that overtime. That's the entire overtime. James Worthy finished with 19 points that game. No more 20 points that game for James Worthy. He finished with 19, man. Cliff Levingston was on him, and he was the igniter. He kicked it off for that team. They would not have won that game without Cliff Levingston doing that. And how do I know this? Because the person who said, and this is a quote, said Cliff was the player of the game. The person who said that, Michael Jordan. Yes. Jordan told you who the player of the game was. It was Cliff Levingston. They're not winning game three without Cliff Levingston. And they're not winning those next two without him because he had already set the tempo with that victory in game three, man. That's why I love Cliff Levingston, man. So this is, and, and you listeners out there listening to this. What Dave's doing right now is exactly what I wanted this this podcast to be about because, you know, when you look back on, on all these championships, we all know Michael and Scotty. And, and if, again, you're a younger Bulls fan, you're just kind of – you go back, you, you, you watch highlights, you'll always see what Michael and Scotty did. But what you just laid out, Dave, is, is the exact reason why you have to do these kind of podcasts years later or, or bring up these kind of players years later because – you know, you don't want to forget a guy like Cliff Levingston, how vital he was to changing the tide in that series. Just by having that that small window of time in Game 3, he changed the tide of that whole series. You know, you talked about what Scott Williams brought, you know, being able to come in as a rookie and bring in vital minutes on the defensive end in those first three championships. Like, those are the things that I think are important for people to remember. I'm glad that you 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 brought it and you you understand like, hey, this is what this is how vital Cliff Livingston was to that first championship. Like the Bulls don't have that first coveted title without that moment in Game Three. Yeah, no, it's so it's so true. And and even further, like after they lost Game One, uh, Cliff Livingston. This is quoting Cliff Livingston. He said he told he told he walked in the locker room. He told him, "All right, y'all, we just gotta sweep them now." Let's go ahead and get that sweep. And he said, Mike told him, dude, to get a sweep, you gotta win, you gotta win all the games. You gotta win the first game to get a sweep. He said, Cliff looked at him and said, Well, we just gonna win all the next 40 in. And we're gonna sweep them that way. 
So Cliff Levinson was already putting the battery in the back, you know what I'm saying, of these players as soon as they walked in the locker room. It, he didn't say, let's let's go win the next game. He said, let's go sweep them. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. go finish this. Let's get this out of here. And then to go out and to contribute, let you know that he wasn't just talking the talk. He was mm-hmm. out there to help. And also, I don't forget, and I left off in that game three that, the, you know, the bench didn't play a, a whole lot because you know, the starters were playing a lot of minutes. But I know I know the Bulls uh, won the bench scoring 18 to 6 because of that. So 10, 10 of those points was Cliff Levingston off the there bench. So boom, he was the man. He was coming over to the Bulls, I think, when he was 30. So, I mean, he was he was a little longer in the tooth at that point. You know, he had been in the league. First year was 1982. So he started his career in Detroit, went to Atlanta. But he was towards the end of his career playing low number of minutes. But there's always those guys on, on a championship team that have those kind of moments where, like, they just rise to the occasion come playoff time. And like you said, to Phil's credit, he identified that. And that's why Cliff Lovingston still to this day is, is always a fan favorite for those that, that did see that first three-peat. Yeah, nobody recognized uh, bench play better to me than Phil Jackson. Nobody mm-hmm. understood that more, uh, how vital those you know lower-tier guys are on your team. And I'm not saying those other teams like the Celtics, Detroit, and the Lakers didn't have that as well. I'm saying that he did it with guys like Bobby Hansen, you know what I'm saying? Oh Judd, Judd Bushler, you know what I'm saying? Bill Whittington, no disrespect to Bill, but he was long in the tooth. He had his jump shot going. He wasn't the same player he was in Sacramento. He was a different kind of guy. But those guys you wouldn't think, Randy Brown, Dennis Hobson, you know what I'm saying? I can go on with this. Stacey King. There's so many, and everybody I just named you all contributed and all was vital to this championship team. I mean, you I still remember game six against mm-hmm. Portland. I remember that. That was that was God, the game the I, bench won. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I you know, my, my dad used to always talk about that game. Game six, nineteen ninety two NBA finals with you have that, you know, deficit going into the fourth quarter. The bench comes alive. Bobby Hansen hits the shot. Stacy King has key minutes in that. And you know, Scotty I think stayed with most of the bench that was on the floor, if I recall. And and Michael's on the bench just, you know, pumping his fist and he when he came back in he he smelled blood. And yeah, and got and that's beautiful. And and for Phil Jackson to understand that kind of psych- psychology is awesome. To understand, to say to yourself, I'm gonna take out the best player in the game in the fourth quarter. When we are down and I need scoring and I need help, Mike, I'm going to need you to come over here and take a seat and watch Bobby Hansen rain these threes down. Like, what coach is saying that in the NBA Finals? That that doesn't exist, man. And then to do it and then to get the result out of it. I mean, you saw Phil Jackson do it with the Lakers, too. I saw him do it with Brian Shaw, for goodness mm-hmm. sakes. Like, he did it all the time, man. He, he knew the right situation to put these role players in to come on out here and do what they do. And he realized that Scottie Pippen was – sometimes better with those role players because Mike was more demanding, whereas Scotty, you know, was more, it's all right, guys, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to get you the ball. He was he was a little more understanding of, mm-hmm. of certain things like that. So Phil Jackson definitely understood the psychology of basketball and his team because he knew what guys needed to go where. And that's why you get Scott Williams, and that's why you get uh, guys like Cliff Levingston. I mean, Scott Williams was even to the point that Scott Williams had gotten to the point that he was so cocky. I don't know if you remember this, but – uh, the third championship, Scott Williams went on TV and was like, yeah, this team doesn't respect me. This is in the finals, okay? The team don't respect me no more. 
I think I should be getting more minutes than I am. I think I should be playing more, and so I'm not going to be here next year. This is during the finals. He's saying this. This is dude, this Scott Williams. The dude never even his 10 points a game. It's out here talking like, you know what I'm saying? Like he's Charles Barkley. Like, you yeah. know, he needs this time. He needs this minutes. And it worked because, I mean, he went away to Philly and got paid and got broke off and had a nice 15-year career just stealing money left and right. You know what I'm saying? And he was just thieving money. I mean, his career at, career high, I think, was in Milwaukee when he was like seven. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, and I'm, I remember he ended up starting on some of those Bucks teams too. Like, he was he was playing like, you know, and I think at that point, you know, he's in his mid-30s and he's playing with this team that, you know, they couldn't play any defense, but they could, you know, run the floor and score. And then there's Scott Williams at center. It was like, it was a weird fit. All right, so to... to to, to just wrap up the discussion here, and I, I, this is my challenge, and I'm throwing it out to, to all of the guests. If you had to summarize in one sentence the impact that Cliff Livingston and Scott Williams collectively, the two of them, had on the Chicago Bulls and, and that first three-peat, how would you describe it? No goons, no titles. That's it. <laughs> I think I think that's a it's perfect. It's a perfect description for both of them. That's it. No goon you, you get no titles if you have no goons on your team. And goons aren't can't be your star players. Your goons have to be guys like Cliff Levingston, you know, like this, like a Rick Mahorn, you know what I'm saying? Like a ML Carr, like a Kurt Rambis. Like those have to be your goons. Those guys who have six fouls to give and they will have to use them, but who can also provide you with valuable points when necessary. They still have to provide a role. They can't just come out there and foul everybody. Sometimes your team is down by six. Or sometimes you need that offensive rebound. See, people don't talk about the offensive rebound. That was important. And Scott Williams was an awesome rebounder, especially on the offensive end. He was a really mm-hmm. good offensive rebounder. And Cliff Levingston was a good rebounder. This is what they did. And Cliff Levingston always around the bucket, always agitating, always getting under people's skin. That's part of the psychology of the game. And this stuff is important when you're trying to win a title because you ain't just winning on talent. If it was just went to the most talented all the time, well, the Bulls would still win, but if it just went to the most talented all the time, there are a lot more talented teams in the NBA that would have been in the finals and winning finals. And ain't just that, man. You need them goons. You need them goons, man. They, that is necessary and it is important, man. It is vital. No goons, no titles. I love it. Um, So real quick before I let you go, is anything changing with, with Balon Bulls or what are you guys doing with the, the podcast right now with things kind of changing a little bit here? Well, see, that's the beauty of, of our our platform. What we do is not only do we have ball and Bulls, we also have ball. So and since there's no sports, you know, Chris and I have so many other things that we love outside of sports. Um, we've been doing a lot of our podcasts on ball right now. Uh, we're talking a lot about music, a whole lot about music. We just did an interview with this young man named uh, D. Jackson, who did an album uh, with this producer called Tall Black Guy. Yes, that's his name, and it's an awesome <laughs> name. And they ha- they have a group called 80s Babies, and they just put an album out called Unlearn, and it's a really excellent, tremendous album um, that I was honored to actually be a part of. I'm, I'm actually on a song, and Chris actually uh, did the artwork for it. So we... Um, so, yeah, we did a nice interview with him uh, on there. So we do those kind of interviews with music and things like that. Ball on Bulls, we did a podcast about a couple of weeks ago just doing a recap of the Bulls season. 
And going forward, you got to know we still got the tournament on trash, tournament of trash ready to go, man. Like, you know, we still have that ready to go. And just between me and you and the people, we got two of them that we might be putting out on both of them. So y'all might want to look out for that. But yeah, we're we're prepared, you know, and we're going to have we definitely want to have more guests on because we think more people will be around now and have more time. So what we able to get you on, you know, another wonderful guest that, you know, we just want to have on to recap their feelings on the NBA season and just on what this is. Cause this is an unprecedented time, man. Like you can't anybody in, in can't anybody outside of probably age, what 70 can't really compare this to anything that they've seen before. You know what I'm saying? As far as world shutting down, not just your country, not just your sports, but the actual world (laughs) just shutting down. Never seen it. And that's, uh, that's, that's why you know what we always have nostalgia to look forward to as well so um and you know what thank god for thank god for streaming content that's all i gotta say thank god for that because <laughs> it helps it helps dave it's always a pleasure to have you on and we'll certainly have you on again the next time we have you on it will be your fifth time on the rebuildable podcast it's crazy thank you for having me on that many times man it's i mean you know i love coming on here and talking to you you Put together just some amazing topics you you get me excited when i when you tell me uh i'm gonna be on the show because you always give me a topic that i'm just like wow i get to deep dive into stuff so i like to get a chance to nerd out on stuff like this and show love for guys like my man cliff levingston and scott williams it's, it's just an awesome thing for me man so thanks for giving me the platform to do that anytime you're always welcome man thank you Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts.